0: So what's going on here? Why so many suicides right here, right now? How did we get
1: here? Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Now, hopelessness shows itself in many different ways. Depression, mental illness, and suicide rates are at an all-time high, despite everything this world has to offer. Whether we are well off or struggling to put food on the table, doesn't seem to have much of a bearing on our hope levels. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff how to defeat hopelessness.
0: The brain and the mind and our thoughts are powerful enough to make us sick. Are they powerful enough to make us well?
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines and our message about defeating hopelessness.
0: I just got back from Kazakhstan and visiting my daughter. And if you wonder where that is, so did I about a month ago. And it's amazing where you'll go to find your family. And I got to spend some time with her. And as I'm going uh, through the departure gate to say goodbye after having my study break there, realizing that I wasn't going to see my daughter for probably another year. And we've we've departed before. You know, we've been together and then she's gone over some foreign country because she's so stubborn. She's just like her mother. She's going to do what she's going to do. And the more difficult, uh, the more intense, uh, the more excited and passionate they are about doing things. So she's in a place where it's actually illegal to share the name of Jesus. And of course, she's going to share the name of Jesus. And going through the departure allowance, it dawned on me that she's not in the safest of places. And then suddenly... And I don't know why, just overcome with emotion, I just start weeping. And I know I'm not going to see my daughter for another year. And I know that I've got to put her in the Lord's hands, and that's not always easy to do. But I started thinking about, at least for me, I will see her again. We will spend time together again. But there are so many parents who lose their children to things like suicide, who don't have that luxury. There'll never be another cup of coffee, another, another walk, another time spent together, it's epidemic in the West, in Australia, New Zealand, the US, Europe. We're living in a time when we have more than we've ever had, and yet we're taking our own lives. And I decided that when I came back, I probably needed to speak about a topic that we never have, and that's the issue of suicide. Because if stats are right, there are people here right now contemplating it, right now. How did we get here? In the last 20 years, suicide rates have risen among teenagers and adolescents. Do you know that it's tripled, watch this now, for girls between the ages of 10 and 14? What on earth have you experienced to at age 10 you're thinking about killing yourself? No one seems immune. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, religious, irreligious, social status, position don't seem to matter. We just don't seem to be able to figure this thing out. In fact, major media outlets within the United States, Australia, Europe, have contacted the social theorists, pages written on this. For the last 14 days, I've just poured over these pages, asking for the social scientists in our primary universities, Oxford, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, to explain to us why it is in this day, in this time, when people in the West experience great liberties, that is, in the West, we got 90% of the world's wealth. Everything that we're told will satisfy us, we have yeah. access to health care, the liberty to travel and see the world. We've got what other people in the world don't have, and we were told when we got it, we'd be happy and satisfied. And yet, we want to kill ourselves. Increased by 300% suicide. Over the last 20 years, 300%. How did we get here? Believe it or not, this is the easiest question I'll attempt to address in this message. We kicked God out. At the turn of the century, now I'm going to try to summarize about 50 pages in about two minutes here. At the turn of the century, we believed that human ingenuity would create for us a prosperity and peace. We truly believed that advances in technology, science, understanding would mean that we would create a utopia. And then we had World War I, World War II, and now we stand on the verge of nuclear war. So we put our hope in mankind only to discover that he can't be trusted. That human ingenuity has only given us greater means to destroy each other. While at the same time, the West decided that God was a fairy tale. So we raised an entire generation of young people who no longer can put their faith in any political system, socialism, communism, capitalism, not in human ingenuity to give us prosperity and peace, and definitely we've told them that a belief in the transcendent is for those who are weak-willed and weak-minded. What hope do they possibly have? Right now, if you look at Western societies, North America, Australia, most of Europe, what do you find? If you look at the news, tremendous division. I never thought I would see a time in my own country where we would be so divided, where we'd be vitriolic on social media, where we would hate each other and fight against each other for political ideals. People are at each other's throats. There's so much hatred, there's anger, there's violence, and you don't think that impacts the next generation? In response to the media question surrounding suicide, there was only one man brave enough to answer the question of why we're killing ourselves. Harvard social scientist Robert Putnam said, isn't it obvious? There is chronic crisis of hope. Hopelessness. Now, To many people, this is not an option. It doesn't make any sense in the West because again, we have everything that we've told the rest of the world. If you have this, you'll be happy and satisfied and you'll want to live. And yet Hollywood and Wall Street, the epitome of what we're all after, the places where we have placed the halo around the head of the unrealized and we said, if we can just be like them, suicide is chronic in those areas. Chronic. It's almost like Uh, I remember an author, let me leave the page for a second, guy Cynthia Heimel, who uh, wrote uh, for a small newspaper uh, outside of New York called The Village Voice, said that if you live in New York long enough, you start to understand all the people that come from all over the world to try to become famous. And she says, I've lived here for all of my life, so I knew Julia Roberts and Arnold Schwarzenegger and these guys when they were waiting tables at the local restaurant or a hat checker at the hotel. And she said, what I've noticed over a period of time... Is those people, and then she actually lists the names, which I'm not going to do. Those people who were angry and mean-spirited and very frustrated when they were working these blue-collar jobs, and then they made it to Hollywood, and all the dreams they had been pursuing, they have now realized, what happens to them then? They become more angry, more mean-spirited. Why? Because they've caught what they thought would give them everything they've always wanted, only to discover they're still them. They still suck. Sorry. And if you, if you put the halo around the unrealized and you get there and then it doesn't deliver, where do you go from there? Look at the people who have died and committed suicide just in the last 50 years. Ernest Hemingway, Freddie Prince, Robin Williams, Kurt Cobain, Virginia Woolf, Marilyn Monroe, Dana Plato, George Reeves. I mean, if I tried to read the list of you, we'd be here all day. They had everything we're chasing, the fame and the fortune. So what's going on here? Why so many suicides right here, right now? We've had social issues before. We keep hearing more and more about mental illness. What role does mental illness play in suicide? And is there anything we can do about it? Now, look, I have spent the last 14 days pouring over journal articles. Anything I could find in an attempt to listen to the scientific world explain to me the scientific, psychological, emotional reasons someone may choose to end their life. And can I tell you after reading all that material, I am now dumber than I was before I started (laughs) because there's so much unknown. It's all theory. Now, let me give you just a few things. Stay with me because you're thinking, okay, am I at a sermon or at a lecture on depression, anxiety, and suicide? Both. Because what you're going to realize in the end is how true the scripture really is when it comes to these issues. Now, here's what the research shows, scientific world, okay? So I'm not reading some theologian. I'm trying to pass on to you what I've discovered. Yes, there are suicides that are related to the brain chemistry, where a person has become unable to clearly and successfully process emotions and events. Now, in that scenario, asking someone why they're depressed or anxious is like asking someone, why do you have cancer? There is a root problem that we're trying to pinpoint. We're asking what caused the chemistry in the brain to change. And no one knows. Theory, diet, genetics, emotional trauma. Some even suggest pesticides. There's so much about the brain we don't know. It's like the vastness of the universe. We might understand two ounces of it, but there's so much that's not in the purview of science. Your brain is the same way. I don't know if you know this, but you are quite complex. Your wife is right, guys. You're, you're, you're difficult to, to discover, to understand, to find out. Other suicides, we're told, are related to traumatic, horrific events. Somebody's witnessed something that penetrated deep into the emotions and the soul, and it's wreaking havoc from the inside out. And there are these memories and reminders, and they just want them to stop. Now, people in this category do not like being referred to as mentally ill. They will tell you, no, I am totally cognizant. The experience that I had is very real. And in my mind, death is a better option than to continue to remember day after day after day through dreams and through visions. I just don't want to think about it anymore. And if I do take my own life, they will tell you I have a clear mind. I will plan it out because I don't see any hope for any change. And it's better for me if I die than to stay here and remember these events every day. There are others who take their own lives because they lose their jobs, they lose their money, they lose their respect after getting caught in something from which they don't believe they can recover. Health journals tell us that it could be the end of a romantic relationship, losing a job, financial problems, academic failure, bullying, shaming, humiliation, being arrested, imprisoned. But here is the key problem, and I do mean key. No two people are exactly alike. The Bible tells us this in Psalm 139, that when we were shaped and formed, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And those two Hebrew words are very complex. No pun intended. You are complex. You are put together piece by piece. You are detailed. You are unique. In other words, it's hard to figure you out. You know, that we talk about the fingerprints and there's no two fingerprints alike. Well, it's not only your fingerprints, folks. It's everything about you. And then throw on top of that every life experience that you've had, your childhood, your teachers, your environment, your home life, every event and every experience. And what you have is complex people where no one size ever fits all. And that's why we cannot come to grips with why one person who experiences this is able to live above it and the other person who experiences this chooses to end their own life.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines and our message about defeating hopelessness. You'd be forgiven for thinking we have everything we need, particularly in the Western world. Pastor Jeff has shared some sobering statistics about current suicide rates, despite having everything to keep ourselves happy and healthy. Pastor Jeff has also shared he believes it's because we have practically kicked God out of society. Let's continue now.
0: When I was writing this message in Astana, which is Kazakhstan, the end of the earth, my wife said to me, you better be careful. And I said, why? You know, we husbands, we get very different. Why? because you don't know half as much as you think you do. I said, I'm not saying I know anything, honey. I'm trying to do the, I'm trying to discover. She goes, just be careful. And she said, you've had a mental illness. You overcame. But just because there's somebody who had a mental illness and didn't does not mean that you're better than they are. It means that when you grew up, Jeff, and then she poured it out, you know how wives are. They're just so honest. You grew up with your coaches and your mom and your dad telling you, you can do it, Jeff. You can overcome. You can face anything. You, you can rise above. But what about people who grew up in homes where their parents say, you're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. You can't overcome. And then they face this. And then what do they do? Man, I can't do this. I'm helpless. I can't survive. It's better just to take my own life. Now, take all of that and now throw into it what science is telling us, adding to the mystery by now showing us that a person's thought life can impact brain chemistry. Your thought life. I want to read to you a quote from depression research at the National Institute of Mental Health. Research shows that around 87% of illnesses can be attributed to thought life. 87! And approximately 13 to diet, genetics, and environment. 87 So there's your thought life and then there's everything else. Studies conclusively link more chronic diseases to an epidemic of toxic emotions in our culture. These toxic emotions can cause migraines, hypertension, strokes, cancer, skin problems, diabetes, infections, and allergies. Despite all the marvels of modern high-tech medicine and decades of innovative research, these illnesses are increasing worldwide. Now, remember, I'm not reading from a theological journal. I'm reading to you from science journals. And the point that science makes is that if you think poorly, if you think negatively, if you respond inappropriately to your emotions, if you're a pessimistic person, bitter, angry, always playing the victim, critical, venomous, unforgiving, filled with worry and doubt, guess what? You're killing yourself. Who would have thunk that all these years when Jesus told us to live a certain way, he actually was trying to save us? Well, you're going to get sick physically and mentally if you respond inappropriately to your emotions. Emotions are a gift from God, love, even anger. It's not the anger that sins, right? It's how you respond over the long haul to your anger. In fact, there was a work I read called Frontiers in Human Neuroscience. And it talked about... Anger and your unwillingness to forgive. And it says, when you do that, negative effect and chronic emotion distress erode health. They alter cardiovascular reactivity, impoverish sleep quality, stimulate the production of stress-related hormones, such as cortisol, being associated over time with the development of clinical conditions, such as depression. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? You can alter the brain chemistry by simply refusing to forgive others and harboring bitterness and anger. Research shows, according to Dr. Caroline Leaf, research shows that fear, now not that you're afraid in a given moment, but living with constant fear triggers more than 1, sorry, 1,400 known physical and chemical responses and activates more than 30 different hormones and neurotransmitters. So that now we know there is no longer any doubt that what and how you think affect your emotional and physical state. The mind and body are integrally connected. Imagine that. So now, and I'm trying to summarize for you, now there are scientists, social scientists, those who study uh, uh, neurotransmitters, neurological impact, they're asking this question. (laughs) And I'm sorry, I find this somewhat humorous because Jesus has been talking about this for a long time. They're asking the question, if the brain and the mind and our thoughts are powerful enough to make us sick, are they powerful enough to make us well? In a work called What Anger Does to the Brain, remember what Jesus said, don't let the sun go down on your anger? Evidently, he was onto something. (laughs) Because scientists will tell us that when the amygdala are activated, a series of biochemical processes begin. The adrenal glands that lie on top of our kidneys release the stress hormone cortisol into our bodies, and the brain releases neurotransmitters into the brain. Those in turn activate part of our nervous system called the sympathetic Nervous system. When this system is activated, among other things, our digestive system stops, our pupils dilate, our saliva glands slow, our blood pressure and heart rate increases. In other words, if you are an angry person, you are killing yourself from the inside out. Now, let me say one more thing, and I'll move on because I know this kind of thing bores some of you. But it goes beyond this, folks. When you don't respond appropriately to your emotions, and we're going to talk about what that means in a second. Cortisol causes your brain to atrophy. Do you know what atrophy is? You see this bicep? No, you don't. That's called atrophy. So when you do not have appropriate responses to your emotions, your brain shrinks. Now, not literally, but it loses its capacity to process appropriately and sends you in a cycle So much so, for instance, and this is one example. There are so many other emotions, but I'm sticking with anger right now. If you're an angry person and you don't deal with it, you'll get to a point where your brain will begin to produce the pleasure neurotransmitter, dopamine. And you will actually start to feel good when the person you're angry at suffers. (laughs) You say, well, that's happened to me before. (laughs) Yes, I know it has. Your inappropriate responses to the things that happen in your life can actually further condition you to respond inappropriately in the future. But what is it in the final analysis that convinces a person to take his or her own life and then enables them to do it? And let me say again, science cannot answer it. We don't know. If you take two people that experience similar situations, they can't tell you why one takes their life, the other does not our brains are a bit like the universe. Again, we understand a little bit about it, but there's so much that we don't understand. Now, let me me be clear here. I'm a fan of science. The more we learn about the universe and ourselves, the more I think we learn about God and his creation, as long as we're honest. And I think that's one of the reasons that as I began to read these psychiatric journals, there was one word that popped up again and again, and it was the word may. 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 I keep getting this letter from Publishers Clearinghouse that says, I may have already won $10 million. (laughs) My wife sometimes says, I may allow you to play golf if you clean the shed. (laughs) So this may cause this to happen to your brain. This may cause this to happen Internally, The benefits of this may be this. And the reason they have to put that word in is because we don't know. We are complex creatures and seldom, if ever, does one size fit all. Now you say, Jeff, man, my friend, my neighbor convinced me to drag myself out of bed and come to church today. I thought you were gonna answer the question of suicide and all you're telling me is you don't know. Man, I could have I played golf. I could have done something fun. Stay with me. I know you've missed that. <laughs> We don't know why it is that some people conquer and others do not. Moreover, we don't understand which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Did poor responses to emotional experience alter our brain chemistry? Or did brain chemistry alter our ability to respond to emotional experiences? We don't know. What we do know with certainty is there is no longer any doubt that what and how you think affects your emotional and physical state. Now, this is why, you know, you've heard me say, just because there are things I don't know with certainty doesn't change the things I do know with certainty. And that's what Christians have been trying to say over the centuries that we Christ followers believe that you can win the battle over suicide, that you can defeat the worst enemy the world has to offer, that you can live above your circumstances, that you can retrain yourself, that you can renew your minds to the degree that the Holy Spirit of God will give you the right word at the right time for victory. But the Bible tells you that if you're going to be able to do that, You're going to have to come to grips with reality. Now that's strange using that word for Christians because the world accuses us of not being realist. But the Bible teaches something different. It says if you're going to be able to win the victory, you're going to have to come to some some terms on some things. You're You're going to have to admit the reality of the world in which we live. First John 5, 19, we know we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. The first thing you have to realize is there is a real battle for your mind on planet earth. And one leads to life and vitality and the other leads to death and disintegration. You can say, I don't believe in that supernatural stuff. All you want to say it. But down deep inside, you know it's there. You know there is a sense of beyond and you know there are things that happen in your life in the universe for which you have no other explanation other than the supernatural. And Jesus tries to tell you time and again, there is a battle going on for your mind. And if you go one way, the way the world goes, your soul, your emotions, your mental health will disintegrate. But if you go the other way, you will rise above, you will live above, and you will be victorious.
1: Thanks for joining us today. Next time, we'll continue this message about our current crisis of hope and how to defeat hopelessness. More from Pastor Jeff then.
0: If you think you're gonna spend one hour at church a week and suddenly you're gonna be able to have good thoughts, proper emotions, you're kidding yourself.